Well, before I uh, introduce Pastor Alex, I want to encourage you all to read the Word of God, right, like, like I normally do. But this time, I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. Really read the whole chapter if you can. But 24 through 25, Romans chapter 7. And I want to just throw this out. If you are dealing with failure, if you are dealing with mess-ups, you just can't get it right, you just can't achieve it, understand you're in good company with Paul. Understand the Christian life is never about your performance. It's, never, it's not about behavioral changes. It's about a heart change, which will lead to behavioral changes, sure. But that's never what it's about. It's always about Jesus and his grace and the unmerited favor that we get through faith alone. So if you're struggling, there's issues out there. I got lots of issues. Know that you are not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your mess-ups. You're not defined by your sin, though the world and those around you may define you. Strictly, you're defined as a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, at this time, I would like to introduce Pastor Alex. Come on up. He is a missionary for the IMB. He's going to be sharing with us God's word. And truly, you know, I have got to know him more and more. And he's inspiring to me and a great encouragement to me to see that he's going out there. I mean, he's been through a lot. He spoke with us earlier uh, in 2020. And God has been doing a lot with him. And he's still on mission despite it all. With his family, and you have a new, uh, a new baby, um, uh, uh, the na- uh, name? August. August, and how old? He's uh, maybe a month and two weeks. month and two weeks. So, I mean, he has, he has a, a three kids now, Thank right? Uh, four. Four, excuse me, four. So, bless him. <laughs> I only have two, and I'm barely making it, so bless him. Correct. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. I know what uh, what Pastor Jonathan doesn't notice is the the amount of white hairs are just in, you know growing in places that I never thought would grow. So um, maybe that's a TMI, uh, but I'm just amazed. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to speak here, Pastor Jonathan. Um, one of the great encouragements he gives to me is he sends me uh, weekly text messages Sunday mornings, and uh, I read them and. It's all very, very good. Um, I think some of it's just from your tw- your Twitter account, but <laughs> but uh, no. But he gives me uh, Sunday morning encouragements, and that's something I really cherish, and I find that to be very, very helpful for me. And so, thank you so much, and thank you for opening your pulpit to me. Um, this morning, we are going to go through Hebrews chapter nine, twenty-seven through twenty-eight, and. Um, I know probably many of you guys have heard uh, missionaries speak, um, and they give you a report of what they have done. They're, they're, they're giving you a lot of um, inspirational examples of what God is doing overseas. Um, I'm not that kind of missionary. <laughs> not yet. And um, as, as many of you guys already know from what I've shared from before, um, yeah, we were we, were, we lived in Beijing for three and a half years. Uh, we did ministry there. We came back. Uh, we joined with the IMB. And then we got sent to Taiwan. And there we learned and tried to improve our Chinese because that's the, pe- that's the people group that we want to reach. 
Um, but then COVID happened. And so um, instead of going into our country of service, uh, we had to come back to America. And um, granted, I mean, we didn't know how long uh, we were going to be in America for. Um, this uh, duration of stay in America is definitely a lot longer than we have expected. And on top of that, you know, having our fourth um, has, uh, has definitely uh, added to that as well. And so I, I kind of come before you guys um, broken, really, because during our time here, um, a lot of questions, um, self-imposed questions, you know, like, do I have to keep going? You know, do I, is God, like, releasing me from my call to missions? Um, a lot of self-reflection, which I'm sure all of us could, could go through and really test the motivations of what we are, what we are supposed to be doing. And so when um, Pastor Jonathan asked me to preach on missions, the thing that I've been really reflecting on is, like, what is the motivation for missions, right? What keeps a missionary going, right? Uh, my pastor um, once told me a friend said to him, who was also a missionary, that the hardest thing for a missionary is to keep going. It's just embedded in us to just settle down somewhere, you know, and call it home, you know, call it your kingdom or whatever, right? That, that desire to just settle, to root, place your roots down is there. And I've been battling that temptation since we got back to America, you know? And so a lot of questions are going through my mind. And so that's why Hebrews chapter 9, 27 through 28 came into my mind. And I wanted to talk about what are the motivations for a missionary? You know, what, again, what makes a missionary tick? And I think we could pull out from here three motivating factors here. Three motivating factors for why missionaries go, why do they uproot their families, why do they endure culture shock, and it's not just a one-time event, right? There's like countless times where you face culture shock after culture shock after culture shock, right? Language deficiencies, right? Starting from like you're a baby, you know, when you're like a 30-year-old or a 20-year-old. Um, why endure through all that, okay? And so that's what I wanted to focus on today. But before we start, let's pray and let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon this time. Heavenly Father, we again thank you so much for your word. Um, your word is a lamp unto our feet. And though sometimes we may not act that way in our daily devotions, Lord God, um, that is a truth that rings that bears, that bears true for eternity. And so, Lord God, as we come before you this morning to read and to study and to hear your word preached from Hebrews chapter 9, 27 to 28, we pray that you will capture our hearts, capture our minds, our attention, sober us up, Lord God, so that we may understand your heart for the lost. And so, Lord, we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first motivating factor for a missionary is that every, person's, every person has a fixed time where they pass. Okay? Every person has a fixed time where they passed. 
If you read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and just as it appointed for man to die once, it is appointed for man to die once. When we think about the book of Hebrews, we could break it down into this summary statement, right? The book of Hebrews is really a letter, okay? So we're going to say a letter. A letter is written to persecuted and discouraged believers to showcase the supremacy of Christ and encourage them to endure, right? If we're going to look at the, the letter of Hebrews, right, the author is talking to an audience of persecuted and discouraged believers who may be drifting out from their faith, and he is encouraging them, hey, Christ is better than whatever is tempting you, whatever is causing you to drift away from, and so because of that, endure. Stay on the path, right? You're getting walloped through the mouth with persecution. People around you are falling away from the faith, but you, believers, stay the course because Christ is supremely better than what this world has to offer. And in chapter 9 specifically, the author of Hebrews is pointing out to the supremacy of Christ as the high priest, right? We're talking about maybe... Uh, Jewish people who have converted to following Christ. And so a lot of them are being tempted to go back to their old ways. So in speaking on the high priest, when you think about the high priest of Israel's time in the Old Testament, you cannot avoid the topic of sacrifice. Because one of the roles of the high priest is on the Day of Atonement, right? That one day of the year where the high priest will go into the Holy of Holies, and offer up a sacrifice for the nation of Israel for their redemption. And so death, sacrifice, atonement, redemption, these are all words associated when we see the phrase high priest. And it's for this reason that the author of Hebrews uses this word appointed to describe something that is inevitable, a fixed point in time for everyone to pass right? When you think about the high priest, you're thinking about death, right? And so here, the author of Hebrews is using this word appointed to really drive the point that there is a fixed point in time where all people will pass. And there is always that moment of death or perhaps near death that just causes people to sober up, right, and to reprioritize their lives, right? I think many of us, especially in light of our pandemic, that have experienced death to a degree or another. And there is a finality to it. Once that person passes away, they are not coming back. But in the end, death is inevitable. I mean, consider this. 154,937 people die daily in this world, globally, right? 154, let's just say 155,000 people die without knowing Jesus Christ. You know, we, we live in Pasadena, okay? Just to give a little uh, context here, Pasadena has a population of about 141,000, okay? So just imagine... The city of Pasadena, the people living in that city, passing away daily, 
without knowing Jesus Christ. Right? Or consider this. For the affinity group that, we, that I'm a part of, okay? Again, we're focusing on Taiwan. There's other countries next to us that our missionaries are in, focusing on. But in our affinity group, 43,000 people die daily without knowing Jesus Christ. If you want to scale that for context, the city of Brea, right? The city of Brea has a population of about 42,000. And so imagine a city like Berea, all of those people in there passing away daily without knowing Jesus Christ. Now, I get it. Um, death and maybe throwing out statistics is, a, is like a, it's just a, a noisy gong at times, right? It's just maybe white noise, right? Just because we're surrounded by it all the time, right? You turn on the news, and what catches the news? Usually someone who passes away. Uh, <clears throat> um, you go around, and you, know, you, you hear about people dying left and right. And because of that, it prevents us from really being broken for, this, for the fact that people are just passing away without ever, ever hearing about who Jesus is. I think for me, what captured my attention about this was actually going out to, a, a, to going out to China. And you know, like you never, you hear rumors and you hear people saying like, oh yeah, you know, share the gospel. And someone said, they never heard of Jesus Christ. Right? And it's just, it's just hearsay until you actually go do it. And you actually meet someone. And you have, there's a name, and there's a face, and there's, there's, there's that person's family, right? And they come to you and they say, hey, who's Jesus? And you're just like, what? And you're just kind of blown away at for a second. You're trying to gr- grab your bearings. and like, oh, my gosh, how do I share the gospel with this guy? Because he's never heard of Jesus, right? The fact that that person could have died and have never heard of the gospel, never had even a chance to hear the gospel, was mind-blowing. And it's really for those people that we think about as a missionary, seeking out those who are in darkness, who have never heard, and sharing with them, loving them, showing them the love of Christ that has touched us, and being that living example for them. Now, the author of Hebrews writes in verse 27 that every man is appointed to die once. But we move on to our second point here, the second motivating factor for a missionary. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I know sometimes you may think death comes And that's it. Their life is over, and that's it. As believers who profess to believe in in the Bible, we know that death is really just a means to an end. After death, there is this judgment that comes where they are weighed. Are you 
with Christ or are you not with Christ? Right? They are not annihilated. They don't turn back into just cells. Right? Souls are involved here after their physical body passes. So like the word judgment, I mean, we've heard that word many times before. If you've been in church for a long time, you know that word judgment. And oftentimes it invokes that image of a courtroom, right? And in that courtroom, you got to judge. And in that courtroom, you have an individual. And within that context, there is two sides, right? I mean, biblically speaking, right, we could think of Jesus' parables, right? Jesus' parables where he, he, is, he is describing the judgment that is to come upon all of mankind. I mean, Matthew chapter 13, verse 30 says, let both grow together until the harvest. Talking about the wheat and the weeds. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Right? Comes a time, boom, judgment happens. Are you a wheat or are you a weed? Sheep and goat is another parable that, the, that Jesus Christ has used, right, to describe judgment. Matthew 25, 32, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. People don't just die. They die and then they are judged. Amen. Judgment is coming. And the question is, will the people stand on the right or on the left? Will they be cast into the fire to be burned? Or will they be gathered into God's barn? And for many of us, for many of us, and I pray for many of us, that the assurance of salvation rings loud and true here, right? You know exactly which side you're on, right? I mean, to be a Christian and to not know where you're going is like, is like the worst possible scenario to be in, okay? You're saying you're a Christian, but yet you don't know where you're going, right? But knowing that our salvation is secured, and knowing that we are assured of our salvation, it frees us, right? It frees us from worldly expectations, just like what Pastor Jonathan was bringing up, right? The world wants to identify you by your sins, by your shortcomings, by your failures, right? Well, as a Christian who has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and as we are assured of that salvation, and that treasure is ours, right? we are freed from that. Amen. We are freed from secular ideologies, and most importantly, we are freed to share this good news with those near and far. Amen. I mean, again, think about the numbers that I just gave you guys. 155,000 people die each day globally. And when you combine it with this verse, that means 155,000 souls are being judged for eternity. 155,000 people who are being judged for eternity without knowing Christ. I mean, that, that number is staggering to think about. I mean, can we let that settle in our hearts for a second here? To think about the people who are just dying and entering into this judgment 
Maybe some of them have already rejected Christ. Right? They've heard the gospel and they've rejected Christ. Yes, that's true. But there are also other people. I think, again, that, that time in China. Well, they say, who is Jesus? And you're just like, what in the world is going on? You know, if this sense of guilt just comes over you, like you're not, oh man, what am I doing? I'm not doing any more. I'm, I'm not going to say, like, oh, ignore that. You know, I know a lot of times we think guilt can be like a, a very bad thing. It's like, oh, I just want to ignore it. Um, no, I kind of want us to saturate ourselves in it a little bit. Because sometimes that guilt could lead into brokenness. You know? Like, sometimes our pride gets in the way and we miss out on the things of God. And so when you think about people dying without knowing Christ, and you're looking at your life and you're like, I'm, I'm, you know, you're seeing like my life is not aligning with that. Like, don't ignore that. Because that leads into brokenness. A brokenness for the loss. A brokenness for the loss. Which is just what exactly God has. Right? God is broken for the loss. Right? Ezekiel chapter 34, 11 through 16. If you could turn there with me. I mean, you can use your Bibles, use your phones. Um, Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. Man, that was... Um, that was a verse that really, um, passage that really got me uh, this week. All right? Ezekiel chapter 34, um, 11 through 16. And I'll read, but if you guys could follow along. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 34, 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Think about that. For those of us who may be drifting or struggling in our faith, the question you have to ask is, are you aligning your heart with the things of God? And Ezekiel chapter 34, 11 through 16 kind of tells us that what God is after, what is God seeking? Yes, we know he's seeking for his glory, but his glory is going to be manifested as he seeks out the lost, as he seeks out those who have strayed away, who have never heard 
of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I included verse 28 in this morning's message was because if I stop there, it's very doom and gloom. You know, I was just like, you know, and sometimes you got to hear doom and gloom, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not discounting that. You know, sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to hear people are dying, and the judgment of God is real, right? But I also believe that the church, the people of God, are characterized by hope. We're characterized by a solution. We're characterized by a savior. And so my final point, right, in terms of the motivation of a missionary, right, is that Christ will come back for the saved. Christ will come back for the saved. And we see that in verse 28 here. Verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Again, the brokenness over the losses of the world as they perish and face judgment moves us as believers to an important and crucial point. Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, and he's coming back again. Let's consider these observations from this verse. One, the completed action of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It is done, right? As described earlier, um, in this passage, the Mosaic system of sacrifice, right? The Old Testament, what we find in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? Those sacrificial systems was meant to be a, a, a shadow of what's to come. That system was never designed to be the final stop, right? Why? Because every time someone sins, they have to offer up an animal, right? Doesn't matter if it's a dove, a sheep, Right? Something, right? They got to sacrifice something in order to get their sins atoned for. It was always limited, that sacrificial system. But you contrast that with what Jesus did and what he accomplished. You know, a one time deal, right? I mean, I don't know if this example is uh, controversial or not. I'll leave it up to you guys, but the current vaccine situation, right? We think about different vaccines. You got Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson and Johnson, right? And I think the biggest one factor about Johnson and Johnson was the fact that it was a one and done, right? And people are like, "Yes, one and done. I want to get it over with, and it's done, right?" We find value in one and done, right? Now, again, I'm not talking about the results, okay? I'm, I'm just saying, when I talk to people, why did you choose Johnson and Johnson? One and done. Okay, that makes sense. Right? I just got my second shot. You know, like, did I want to get shot again? Not really, but I had to do it. Christ, sacrifice, one and done. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's fantastic. Like, and that gives us so much to say when we talk to people, right? When I'm on the field and I'm talking to people about the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he accomplished, I don't have to say, hey, yeah, once you after you believe in Jesus Christ, you got to do more stuff. you got to sacrifice more things. No. Your sins are atoned for, one and done. Yeah. Amen. And especially in Taiwan, 
where people are offering up their version of sacrifices to their temple gods in hopes to get a message, in hopes that they could get an answer to their prayers. Right? You contrasted Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And you're just like, why do you put yourself through that? When you can have it all one and done in Christ. Now, I'm probably jumping around here, but verse 29, verse 28 continues on and says, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, right? And again, this idea of bearing our sins captures the image of giving someone a burden that he or she is not obligated to bear. Um, In high school, I played football, right? Just one year. Freshman year, that is, okay? So nothing too big. But it always, it always pr- provided a lot of experience, right? A lot of life experience because it really captured the idea of team, community, right? One person's actions can either lead to the success of all or to the failure of all, Right? And I just remember on game day, whenever someone made a, a mistake, they got a penalty flag or anything like that, whew, that Monday, guess what? We're running. And it's not just that guy who made the mistake, right? The whole team is running, right? Coach, I didn't get the flag. I didn't do it. He did. Well, Han, you're running along with him. Man. What a stinker, right? And yet, when you look at verse 28, he bore the sins of many, right? Christ had no obligation to bear my sins. Christ is not responsible for my sins. He's the sinless one. And yet, he bore the sins of many. I mean, when you think about that, it's very humbling, isn't it? I mean, some of us are very proud people, right? Like, I mean, we're Christians, but pride is one of those sins that keep rising their heads. And sometimes we act that way, like where, like, even though we say we have received this salvation, part of us doesn't want Christ to bear all of that sin that we have committed, right? And it's the same way in the field as well, you know? I remember a while ago, we were doing um, international student ministries in America, and, and for a lot of Japanese students, that was, a, that was a big barrier for them. I can't give the sins that I've committed to Christ. That's irresponsible. Those are my sins. I can't give that to him. It's a stumbling block for believers because we so often want to rely on our own strengths when we serve and do ministry. It's a stumbling block for unbelievers because they can't get over the fact that someone would love them so much that they will bear their burdens. And so it's a humbling fact. It guides us in how we present the gospel. Right? It is humbling. And we should be alongside when we share the gospel with people, bringing that out. And yet the main point in verse 28 
isn't really the fact that Christ bore the sins of many, right? In fact, the main verb in that, in that, in that entire verse is will appear. So really, the emphasis is on the coming of Christ, right? And we know from the Bible that his appearance is going to be unlike any other appearance that we have seen or heard, right? Matthew 24, 29 through 31 Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I mean, if there's anything that the verse says is that when Christ comes back, it's going to be a worldwide event, right? Like, and it's going to be clear. Like, everyone's on board. Like, everyone's saying, something is happening. Who is that man coming from the heavens, right? I mean, it kind of puts to shame anyone who tries to claim that Christ already came or he's going to come next week or something like that, right? Right? We know, worldwide event, And if you notice in that verse, I mean, for those who oppose Christ, that day is going to be a very, very horrendous day. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day in which maybe in their pride, they will try to solve this problem. How do we overcome Christ? Right? And if that's the case, they're in line with the devil's thinking as well then. Because even the devil, up to the point in which he will be cast into that hell, to that to the lake of fire, he's always going to find a way to overcome Christ. But we know that's not true. But let's not focus on that. Because the focus of 28 is that when he comes, he is coming to those who have been waiting for him, to the saved. It is in light of this coming day that Christians go out into their field and bear the news of the gospel. It's in love that we want to see the nations be included in that day where they are eagerly awaiting when Christ returns. I mean, personally for me, what drives me is knowing that the work we are doing is going to present an opportunity to influence someone in the globe, someone in the world, to hear about the gospel. Right? Again, I'm just one person. Right? I mean, I'm not doing much right now. I'm in America. I'm supposed to be out on the field. Right? But if coming to this church and I could encourage you guys to pray more for missions or if God raises up missionaries from um, Walnut Valley Baptist Church, then that's worth it. That's worth it. And if your prayers are being heard by God and someone gets saved, that's worth it. Because we want to see Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 fulfilled, right? We want to see that. that that's, that's the drive that at least for the IMB is, that's the focus, that's the vision of the IMB right here. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. 
And so when I think about the nations, like, I love them and I want to include as many people from those nations into this vision of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Right? I want, when, the, when Christ comes, I want as many of my friends, as many of close associates as mine who are in my circles of influence, I want them to be also eagerly awaiting the Lord. And so as I conclude today, I just want to ask a summarizing question here. When you combine these three points here, right, that everyone is die, everyone is, is appointed to die once. Right? The second point is judgment is real. And the third point is that Christ bore the sins of many and he will he will return. When you combine all these three points together, what do you have? What message do you have? It starts with a G, ends with gospel. <laughs> the gospel, right? You talk to any missionary and you ask them, what is the motivating factor and why you uproot your family and send them out? Why do you endure all the stuff? Why do you endure the language of embarrassments? Why do you go through the... You know, the conflicts and all that stuff. It's the gospel. It always has been. It always will be. And I'll throw it back on you guys. Isn't it the same for us as well? You know? I mean, John Piper famously said, man, like, for the, as a, in terms of the Great Commission, right? You're either a goer or you're a sender or you're disobedient, Right? And I'm not, I'm not saying none of, any of you guys are disobedient. I'm, I'm assuming all of you are the best. Like you guys are all either goers or senders, right? And if you're a sender, right, isn't the gospel motivating you? And isn't the gospel motivating you to keep sharing the gospel locally with your neighbors? What will motivate you to be a Christian in this world? I pray that the gospel is that motivation factor for you. I mean, I keep thinking about how much technology is making our world so much smaller, right? I mean, one of the reasons why I was questioning whether or not we should go out to the world, go out to the nations, because I'm like, I feel like the nations are coming to America, right? More and more people from distant lands are coming to America, into our backyard, and there is a tremendous opportunity there for the bride of Christ, to be part of the global mission locally, here now. And so consider for yourself, what is your motivation? Are you motivated by the fact that people are appointed to die once? Are you motivated by the fact that after death comes judgment? And are you motivated again that Christ is coming? And I want to see as many of my friends and family to be included in that group that is eagerly awaiting for his arrival. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share. And I pray, Lord God, that as your word goes forth, that you would be honored and glorified through it. Um, I'm humbled again, Lord God, to be your mouthpiece. I'm not worthy. And I pray, Father, that you will bear fruit in the lives of my brothers and sisters here at Walnut Valley Baptist. And would you bring about a renewal in their own minds and hearts and souls, 
a renewal of a renewal of their drive to serve you, just a renewal in their minds to love the gospel, to love Christ more and more each day. So, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.